0: All right. Just going by that. No, I it. Okay. So, the other thing, then, uh, we talked about the layers of the heart. You know, we've got all these things going on. Talked a little bit about the base and the apex. So, being that this is a mechanical pump, it has chambers. It has two upper chambers and two lower chambers. So, there are four chambers to the heart two superior and two inferior. The superior are known as the atria, and the lower are known as the ventricles. Both the superior and inferior chambers are divided into right and left by a septum. Septum means wall. So there's a wall that divides the two atria, and there's a wall that divides the two ventricles. There's a reason why I haven't gotten the half right down the middle of the heart, and I'll explain that in a moment. The two atria are divided by the intraatrial septum, and the two ventricles, of course, are divided by the interventricular septum. The right ventricle forms most of the anterior portion of the heart, and the left ventricle dominates inferior posterior aspect, forming the apex. So, this is the reason why my line does not go down the middle, because this represents the majority of the anterior part of the heart. This takes up the majority here and forms the apex. So The left actually forms most of the apex. So, we see it here. And that's the reason why I draw it this way, because this is fundamentally part of the problem with most of the, most of the artist's rendition you see. They tend to divide the right and left ventricles similarly, only changing the thickness of the walls, and they aren't cr- incorrect. The left ventricle has a much more robust myocardium than the right does, and we'll explain why very shortly, but um, there is a distinct difference in terms of the representation in in the normal heart. This is, uh, again, another artist's rendition, but it's a little more closely related to the actual heart itself. On the superficial surface of the heart, um, there are two grooves which represent the uh, the border of the chamber of the septum so if we look at the outside of the heart here and this is a real heart okay this is the right ventricle here and the left ventricle so let's go over here more to the anterior view the right ventricle is here making up most of the anterior left is here making up the apex the two atria are kind of up and in behind but what I'm trying to get at is there's a groove that runs right down here dividing the heart into right and left. It represents the septum, it runs along the septum, that separates the right and left ventricles here. And along that groove run coronary arteries and veins that supply the myocardium of the heart, which we'll get to later. So a groove is known as a, so there are two grooves on the superficial surface of the heart, which represent the boundaries of the chambers. A groove is known as a sulcus, So it's called a sulcus in the heart, and in the heart, these carry the blood vessels that supply the myocardium. I'm going to jump ahead here for a moment and say, obviously being a muscle, the myocardium is a muscle, it has a lot of metabolic needs because it's contracting. Have you guys done uh, muscle contraction yet in Tammy's class? Okay, so it requires calcium, it requires sodium, right? It requires oxygen. Where does it get it from? It gets it from blood, like any other muscle in the body. But what's unusual about the heart is, for all the blood that fills these chambers, none of it supplies the heart, supplies the heart muscle at all. There actually is an external uh, uh, vascular network on the outside of the heart, which represents this. So all these, these two lines here and the branches thereof, and this branch here, you see over here, all these little lines all represent arteries and veins, and the heart muscle is fed from the outside in. So, all that blood that travels through the chambers does not meet any of the needs of the myocardium. The anterior, so the coronary sulcus represents the demarcation between the atria and the ventricles and encircles the heart. Coronary means crown like. So, the coronary sulcus would be an indentation. That travels in the the line or the border between the atria superiorly and the ventricles inferiorly right through here along this line. So far, so good? And it's crown-like because it goes all the way around the heart. Okay? The anterior interventricular sulcus, what's that tell you? Its name tells you exactly where it is. It's, it's on the front of the heart in between the ventricles. Correct. The anterior interventricular sulcus represents the anterior portion of the interventricular septum and holds the anterior interventricular artery. And a friend of mine just had a heart attack in that artery this week. Yep. He survived though. And he got a stent and he's fine. Yeah, this is a nasty heart attack. You don't want a heart attack on, in this artery because it supplies so much of the heart. An, uh, basically, a heart attack is a plug. Of the population. Uh, no, ladies don't tend to be that common. They tend to be more inferior. At least that's what I'm, I have found. They tend to be more inferior. But it is. It is the widow Widowmaker. This is a nasty place of a heart attack. And then the posterior interventricular sulcus is the posterior equivalent to the anterior interventricular sulcus. So anywhere you see these sulci, right, whether it's coronary going around here or down here dividing the right and left in those sulci, in those ditches, is where we find the vessels that feed the heart, okay yeah these these lines represent the septum, so this is the uh, interatrial and and the and the ventricular septum, correct um, the atria so they are the receiving chamber, so <clears throat> sorry, they get blood from somewhere. they get blood that comes in. They sit on top of the ventricles, and sitting on top of the, the atria are two little appendages called oracles. I don't spend a whole lot of time on them, but they do provide a small increase in atrial volume, and who knows, maybe they're a leftover from a larger heart that we had evolutionarily at some time, I don't know. But they're just like these little dog ears that kind of flap. That's why they're called oracles, which means ears. Um, From a surface observation, they're somewhat indistinguishable. Posteriorly, they are smooth-walled, whereas the anterior portion contains bundles of muscle. Why? Anybody want to guess? Why do we need muscles in the atria? Okay, right. Eventually, they push blood to the ventricles. But we're going to learn the majority of the fill from atria to ventricles is actually passive. It doesn't utilize a muscle contraction because the way the heart sits with gravity... The, the bottom of the chamber opens up, and of course, all the blood is going to fall down, right? Um, so posteriorly smooth-walled, whereas the anterior portion contains a bundle of muscle. And because of the way they look, they look like the teeth of a comb. They are called pectinate muscles. They are the pectinate muscles. So we see the right atrium here, which is always which is a mistake because it's really more an oracle than it is an atrium. Uh, looks better here when it's removed. So there's your two h There's your Right atrium, there, there is your left atrium over here. Okay, they are receiving chambers, so blood comes into the heart via the atria. The left atrium has a greater percentage of smooth wall as compared to the right, okay, because of greater pressure. And that, everybody understand that? Left has more pressure than right. I'll get back to that slowly. In the interatrial septum, there was a small indentation known as the fossa ovale. It is a leftover I'm just going to kind of do it like this. It is a leftover from fetal circulation when you're in mum. So in the heart in mum, in the fetus, actually has a hole, an actual hole in the septum between the left and right atria. It has to do with fetal circulation. So the fossa ovalis is a healed over foramen ovale. So the hole that was inside, when you were inside mum, the hole that was in your heart was a foramen. It was a hole. So it was called the foramen ovale. When you were born and you started breathing oxygen, this closed up but left an indentation. Anybody here got a genetic disorder or someone in the family who actually has a hole in the heart? Okay. So sometimes this doesn't close. So sometimes, uh, depending on the size of it, the physicians will just leave it and it'll grow over as the child gets older. If it's bad enough, big enough, they will be down to sick kids and having open-heart surgery um, before, before long, before they're even six months old. Um, they'll, they'll go in and surgically close it up. So sometimes genetically or otherwise it doesn't close. They are small and thin-walled as compared to the ventricles due to their mostly passive influence on blood flow. So the bigger muscles... The bigger myocardium exists in the ventricles, not in the atria. The right atrium receives blood via three veins. The inferior vena cava, the superior vena cava, and the coronary sinus. So, this is the superior vena cava. This is the inferior vena cava. And this is the coronary sinus. The superior vena cava receives blood from the upper limbs, upper torso, and the head. The inferior vena cava receives blood from the organs the pelvis and the legs and the coronary sinus receives blood from the coronary circulation so where do you think all this, is this blood got oxygen in it or not it's a trick question because it does but you're correct less right right it's deoxygenated so this is this is the side of the heart that receives blood from the body that's been used up right and contains you know hemoglobin that's got carbon dioxide on it, metabolites left over from cellular metabolic processes, and so forth. So this is the blue side. Okay, for those who've probably taken it in school at some point, you talked about the red side and the blue side. So this is the deoxygenated blood. Four pulmonary veins enter the left atrium, which makes up most of the heart's base. So veins. What are pulmonary veins? The thing. The thing. The thing to remember, veins always bring blood to the heart. Arteries always take blood away from the heart. Let me repeat. Veins bring blood to the heart. Arteries take blood away from the heart. Remember that. Okay? So we see here, here's the fossa ovale here, where the foramen ovalis used to be. Here is your superior vena cava, your inferior vena cava, your coronary sinus, and the right atrium, okay? You see it here as well. This is showing you that in the fetal heart, it's usually open, which allows the mixing of blood, which is perfectly fine for fetal circulation, is not fine once you're outside of mom. Actually, it's a very interesting uh, reaction that children have that don't get this fixed when they're able to walk. They will walk for so many steps, and then they squat, and then they wait, and they stand up again, and they walk, and they squat. It's a, it's a sign that they, they, they have an intraatrial septal defect, and they need the surgery. Yeah, it, it's a, it changes intraabdominal pressure to get blood flowing around. It, the body just naturally does it. So you'll see these kids running in the hallway, and they just, <clears throat> they just drop and squat. I know, it's crazy. So this is, again, we see the right atrium here with the coronary sinus and so forth. This is a great example of the, of the posterior aspect of the heart. Here is the coronary sulcus here. Again, surrounds the heart, represents the, the border between the atria above, the ventricles below. And then we have uh, the posterior interventricular sulcus here. We have the anterior interventricular sulcus here, which represents the border of the septum that divides the right and left ventricles. And we can note here that the blue again represents blood that's leaving the heart, going back to circulation because it's deoxygenated. Red represents blood that has been oxygenated and is going out to supply the muscles of the heart. So the heart, in essence, actually has its entirely own vascular system to feed itself, separate from everything else. The ventricles. Ventra means under, so in the position of the the chest it looks under. Uh, They're the largest mass part of the heart, they're they're much more uh, robust, they take up a lot more mass of the heart, Um, therefore pumping blood out of the heart. So where the atria, where the receiving chambers of blood from the body, the ventricles, their whole role is to pump blood out of the heart. The left side has a much thicker myocardium than the right. Again, I will jump ahead and tell you that the blood that is returning to the right atria, by the time it gets to the right atria, it has a blood pressure of zero. Okay, there's no blood pressure there. It's it's minutely less, a little more than zero, but for all intents and purposes it's zero. When you take the blood pressure of your patient, you are are measuring the arterial side of blood. So we said that there was an existing pressure in the chamber of 80. And then when the chamber contracts, when the ventricle contracts on the left side, it pushes the blood out at a pressure of 120. That's the normal. Okay. So because blood has pressure on the left side, the myocardium has to be more robust and stronger in order to move blood through the body. Imagine, just think about it for a minute, how small that, you know, you did your fist, how small those chambers truly are, and that one contraction has to move blood out into the aorta and to the whole body, and fill the whole body up with with oxygenated blood, right? So it's a pretty robust big muscle. So, they make up the most mass, they're responsible for pumping blood out of the heart, The myocardium on the left ventricle is much more dense as compared to the right because the left side is under pressure. That's the thing to always remember. The left side is always under pressure. The right ventricle pumps blood into the pulmonary trunk while the left pump ejects blood into the aorta. So, let's just do a quick pathway. I'm going to come back to this again. Blood comes into the right atria. Blood from the right atria goes into the left atria. The blood from the left the left ventricle, sorry, the blood from the left ventricle goes to the lungs for what uh, and getting rid of gases and all sorts of things right, so it gives up c o two takes on oxygen the yeah, exactly, so once that's done, the blood from the lungs go where to the left atria, all ac oxygenated now, ready to go. The oxygenated blood from the left atrium goes in the left ventricle. Left ventricle then contracts and it pushes blood where? Everywhere. Everywhere. Brain, arms, legs, trunk, organs. Right? Everywhere. Okay? So, the right ventricle pumps blood into the pulmonary trunk circulation. So, it's going into the lungs. The left pumps blood into the body. The left side most, um, it has to come greater, overcome, uh, should be, the left side most, must, that should be must, sorry, overcome greater back pressure as compared to the right, therefore the larger muscle mass. So again, let's go back to your blood pressure. You take blood pressure, you have 120 over 80. 120 is when the heart contracts. 80 is when the heart's relaxed, okay? So in other words, it's under pressure. So let's say uh, we take a garden home. And I'm not squirting water out of it, but I have the tap turned on. The hose is just lying on the, road, on the ground. What's going to happen if I put a knife through the hose? The water is going to come out how? Spray or just kind of roll out and land on the ground? I've left the tap on. Okay? I've left the tap on. The hose is lying on the ground. I put a knife in the hose. Yes? It's going to come shooting out. Because there's pressure existing in the hose, okay? So hoses are made in such a way that they don't allow water to squirt out. They're made in a way to deal with the pressure. The, The cardiovascular system is the same way. Because of the existing pressure that is always pushing out on the heart, the left has made adaptations. The left side has made adaptations to deal with that pressure. So therefore, it's a larger muscle mass on the interior surface of the ventricles are ridges of muscle called trabeculae carne okay we'll see those in a moment and arising from the interior surface are cone-shaped muscles called papillary muscles and they prevent these valves that uh, allow blood movement uh, to occur in a particular way it prevents them from them from turning inside out like an umbrella in a windy day so we see here the artist's rendition has the left side with a bit of a thicker myocardium, as well as the septum, with a much, with a much thinner wall on the right. We see these sorts of ridges here, uh, not too well but not bad, but we do see these pimple-like projections, these papillary muscles, and there, is, there are tendons that attach to that that are part of the leafs of the actual valves themselves. This is an actual heart inside the left ventricle chamber so it's not a smooth wall like you would think so i'll show you that this is uh the atrium because it's the shape of trying to look at the which way the valve's going this represents the leaf of the valve these ridges all these like ridges are the trabeculae carne. and then we see where the tendons of the leafs are attached to this area here these are your papillary muscles. There's another one again. Here's here's the thick band of a papillary muscle here. Here's your chordae tendon. We'll get oh sorry, I almost said that yet because we haven't got there. See this papillary muscle? It's almost like a big like pimple sticking up. Okay, so we've got four chambers. And we have valves that are one way valves. So I'm not even going to use the slide for a moment. I'm just going to use my picture. So we said that blood enters into the right atria from a number of areas, including the coronary sinus, the superior vena cava, and the inferior vena cava, correct? Okay, so it's a receiving chamber. From there, the blood travels into the right ventricle. From the right ventricle, blood leaves the right ventricle and heads to pulmonary circulation. I spelled it wrong, but I don't care. All right, pulmonary circulation does its thing at the heart, at the lungs, then returns back from the lungs into the left atria. And from the left atria, blood goes into the left ventricle, leaves the left ventricle, heads out of the heart through the aorta into the body's circulation. So that is the pathway of blood. So the chambers do not relate to each other laterally. That's the key thing you need to understand is that they relate to each other superior to inferior, but they do not relate to each other from right to left. They are two separate systems stuck in the same heart, okay, separated by septum. So we can think of the heart as a two-sided pump, that is the right pump serves the pulmonary trunk and the left, which allows gaseous exchange to occur at the alveolar capillary beds, and the left side serves the systemic circulation that is ensuring that the oxygenated blood travels all the way out through and around the body. How are we doing? Am I going too fast? It's kind of making sense. Okay, so here we go, the pathway. One, blood depleted in oxygen but high in carbon dioxide enters the right atrium. Two, blood from the right atrium enters the right ventricle. Three, the right ventricle pumps blood out into the pulmonary circulation via the pulmonary arteries to allow for the exchange of gases. Four, oxygenated blood from... Pulmonary circulation, or the lungs, returns to the heart via the pulmonary veins to enter the left atrium. Five, blood from the left atrium enters into the left ventricle. Six, the blood in the left ventricle is ejected out of of that ventricle into the aorta to travel along smaller and smaller arteries to exchange gases at the tissue capillary beds where oxygen is released and carbon dioxide is absorbed. N7, traveling along larger and larger veins, the blood returns to the right atrium via the superior vena cava, the inferior vena cava, and the coronary sinus to begin again. Any questions? So far, so good. So this shows you the pathway right here. Note the blue and the red. So the right side is blue, the left side is red. Note that uh, the blood leaving the right side to the lungs is blue until it gets to the lungs. Gaseous exchange occurs at the lungs, and the blood returning to the heart on the left side is red because it's oxygenated. Okay? So there's your steps. One, two, three, four, five, and six. So there's a couple of methods you can use in terms of studying and, and, and doing it. All right. So we, a few things we said here: uh, that the ventricular side is much more muscular, bigger chambers, uh, the right side's a lot less, So that we said the right side is under a lot less pressure, so uh, uh, the, blood's, uh, the, the heart doesn't have to make too much adaptation for that, whereas the left side is under a lot of pressure. So there are distinct differences between the right and left sides of the heart. That being said, equal volumes of blood are pumped into both the pulmonary and systemic systems at any one time. So although there are differences between the right and left heart, when the heart contracts and blood leaves the heart, the same amount leaves, same amount leaves, okay? And according to Starling law, Starling's law, it's the same amount that went in, okay? The right side has much less work to do if we compare it to the left. So of course, the right side is a low pressure environment, whereas the left side is a much higher pressure system. Why? okay and it encounters five times more friction and a lot of vessels to get around now I have forgotten the name of this law if anybody remembers it if you've heard this before please remember so let's go back to the garden hose I can actually put a garden hose on the faucet okay outside the house and I can create a garden hose that's long enough that even with that faucet completely wide open no water will come out of the hose Anybody remember this law? I can't remember the name of the law. So how, why? Now the garden hose has to be long. Really long. What's happened? With a long enough garden hose, no water's coming out. What's happened? Why isn't there enough pressure? What happened to it? Yeah, but it's a good question. It's not dispersed. It's your coefficient of drag or of friction. Right, won't come out. Correct. We'll right. So that has to do with the friction of the tubes that it runs on. I forget the law too. So when I run water through that garden hose, it encounters friction along that garden hose as the water moves along. Right. So let's say water that comes out of your house is 70 pounds per square inch. Okay. At some point, if that hose is long enough. The accumulation of friction that the water encounters as it moves along the hose will become greater than the 70 pounds per square inch of pressure So eventually no water will come out of the hose because there's not enough pressure to get to the end. Right? Same thing happens in the body. On the left side, when the heart beats, it has to encounter friction on, on the pipes in order to get blood to go around the whole body conversely once gaseous exchange has occurred at the capillary level and the tissues right so we now have carbon dioxide heading back to the heart it still continues to meet friction along all the veins it encounters to get back to the heart that is why by the time blood gets back to the heart on the right side it is under zero pressure in fact there are adaptations the body makes to ensure that blood gets back to the heart because of the low-pressure environment. Every time you breathe, your diaphragm milks the inferior vena cava, getting blood up into the heart. On the superior side, it's not quite as difficult. We tend to be standing upright, so blood tends to have a little more influence from gravity, but the still adaptations do occur. Every time you walk and your muscles contract, you're also milking blood back to the heart. The right partially encloses the left ventricle. Why do you think that is? So if we look at the heart from down below, the right kind of encloses the left. What might that do? No, it's helping, but not travel blood. If I'm surrounding the left, no, it's helping something. It adds a little more contraction to the left side to work harder to push blood out. So the fact that it somewhat surrounds the left, it helps the left go out. In fact, in some patients with congestive heart failure, when the left side is failing, there are techniques where they actually wrap the heart in uh, pec muscle and then put a stimulator on it so the pec muscle contracts and helps the heart squeeze to help improve congestive heart failure. So we said the heart moves, uh, blood moves around the heart. And I've already told you that the blood that travels through the heart doesn't supply the heart. Okay, doesn't supply the heart. So a large amount of blood passes through the heart. In fact, every minute your entire blood supply passes through the heart 5.2 liters in one minute. All right, but all this blood traveling through the heart does not supply the heart tissue. And as I've said, when we look at the sulci, all the vessels that supply the heart travel in the sulci. The coronary supply is provided by the right and left coronary arteries, and one thing you're going to be surprised with is how much of a coronary circulation the heart has not got, okay? It's fairly simple. The coronary supply is provided by the left and right coronary arteries, and both of these arteries encircle the heart within the coronary sulcus. So this is the aorta, right? So this is the red side, this is the big vessel that is sending blood out to all the body. At the base of it are the right and the left coronary arteries. Only two arteries, right and left, at the base of the aorta, supply your entire heart. That's it. You see it here from the back side. You can kind of see it here. So, it runs. The left coronary artery runs, of course, on the left side of the heart. And it divides into two arteries, the anterior interventricular artery and the circumflux artery. The anterior intertravicular artery, more times than not, is known as the left anterior descending, the LAD. And the reason why I'm taking the time to go through this, because you're all going, what the frig, is because you're going to have patients who come to you who've had heart attacks. And they're going to tell you where it is. And it's going to help you understand what's going on with them in, their, in terms of their health history. Okay? Because they're fairly, because when, when someone has a heart attack, they always talk about whatever artery was involved that was plugged when they had, when they had a heart attack. So you're, you're more likely to see LAD than you are anterior interventricular artery. It follows the anterior interventricular septum and the anterior walls of both ventricles. This is where my buddy had his heart attack. Okay, right? because it supplies so much of the heart. The second is the circumflex artery. If you get a heart attack here, you die, because it's big and it supplies the whole heart. It goes around the heart. Yes. How long a year on average. So, so my buddy had uh, his heart attack. He got sent down to South Lake. He had an angiogram yesterday. They put in a stent, which is like a plastic straw, put like a little tube in, right? Oh, you're right. They may have done it. I don't know if they're doing... You're right. I forgot about that. I don't think it's quite open yet. I think they're struggling getting nurses. So they they went went into his heart. They put a little tube in there to, to... Stop the blockage from happening if it had been significant enough he would have had his chest cracked open they would have done bypass surgery so it really depends on how significant the blockages are in the heart and then um, with the stent so they probably went up his arm or the femoral artery in his leg they put the stent in and once that stent opens up you're usually home within about 72 hours and then you're good no you you would do a, like a cardiac rehab part pro, a, a program where they would slowly Bring you back to running again, those sorts of things. But it's, uh, well, it really depends on how much damage was done. That's why 20 minutes, guys, you got chest pain, you know, and someone's trying to deny, it, you put them in a headlock, you drag them into a, 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 an ambulance, and you get them to the hell to the hospital. Because after 20 minutes, the heart muscle starts to infarct, which means die. And remember what I talked about with tissue healing and inflammation, the heart does not replace itself with viable muscle, it replaces itself with scar tissue, which means that part of the heart can no longer efficiently contract. So the more damage you do, the more percentage of myocardium you destroy, the the harder it is on the heart, the less it can work, and then the, the patient may survive the heart attack, but then will have associated problems all the rest of their life. That's why you've got to get them because you can reverse an MI if you can get them in the hospital fast enough. Yeah, we know we know that it happens.
1: Yeah.
0: So does exercise. Yeah. So as a so that's called collateral uh, circulation, anastomosis. And I know myself that because I've been running all my life, I have probably created a vast number of small, minor arteries that if I were to have a heart attack now, it's likely that it won't be as significant because I'll have collateral circulation that will help supply it. That's why, folks, generally, if you have a heart attack at 40, you die. If you have a heart attack in your 50s or 60s, you generally don't because you seem to have created more collateral circulation when you get older than when you're younger. that just like an ad? Yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There are adaptations where you get, uh, it's called uh, vascular genesis and the heart will start producing all these networks of, yeah. Uh, not to the same degree as, as, uh, as, as, uh, as cardio programs, unfortunately. Sorry. So sad. Get out and run. Come on. Are you not fleet of foot? I am. Are you? Yeah. So the anterior interventricular supplies the anterior part of the heart. The circumflux artery supplies the left atrium and the posterior wall of the left ventricle, okay, the whole posterior wall. So here we are. Here is the left here, and it branches into the two, right? There's your left coronary artery here. It branches into the, uh, the left interventricular and, and the left uh, circumflux. Next is the right coronary artery, and it has a few more branches as compared to the left. It projects to the right side of the heart where it divides into the right marginal artery and the posterior interventricular artery. So the marginal artery is, serves the lateral side of the lower part of the heart and the upper part. The posterior interventricular artery runs to the heart apex and supplies the posterior ventricular walls. Now what's very interesting is between the posterior interventricular artery and the anterior ventricular artery at the apex of the heart they actually share vessels It is known as an anastomosis so at the apex the anterior interventricular artery and the posterior IVA merge together to form an anastomosis which means they open into each other so there is oxygenated blood flowing both from the front and the back meeting at the apex of the heart so what's nice about that is if I were to have a blockage on the lower part of the anterior interventricular that supplies the apex, most of the apex would be fine because it's also supplied by the posterior interventricular from the backside. Right? It is this kind of networking, anastomosis, so they talk about that, that when people exercise and do a lot of cardiovascular work, the body, the heart will create new networks to create these kind of anastomoses all over the heart. Uh, together, the system supplies the right atrium and nearly all the right ventricle, and these vessels send branches inward to supply the myocardium. So, there is a vast network that supplies the myocardium from outside in. It's probably the best way I want to put it. And what's interesting is they only deliver blood to the myocardium between beats. So, for a brief moment, there is no blood entering the myocardium when the myocardium contracts. Uh, the heart requires about one twentieth of the blood supply to meet its needs, which is quite a lot if you think about it for a small little organ. And at the capillary beds of the myocardium, deoxygenated blood enters the cardiac venous system. So you can see all these branches that run on the surface of the heart then have branches that penetrate deep into the myocardium to help meet its needs. Okay? So, get some math. Uh, oxygen is given off, carbon dioxide gets picked up, so we have a venous system now, also that returns blood back to the heart. So they follow basically the same pathways. They join together to form something, a coronary sinus. Whenever you see a sinus in relationship to uh, cardiovascular networks, it's a big, big vessel, big fat vessel. Okay? Um, it em- and it is a coronary sinus which empties into the right atrium, so that's what CS is here in the backside of the atrium. Three large veins feed the sinus, the great cardiac vein on the anterior interventricular sulcus, the middle cardiac vein in the posterior interventricular sulcus, and the small cardiac vein running along the heart's inferior margin. There are lots of several small ones that enter directly into the atrium itself. Questions so far? Well, I'm not done yet. and the thing to remember as well is that uh you know like you're going to see a lot of heart stuff cuz unfortunately in north american culture we have a lot of heart problems a lot of heart problems what's that yeah it's it's all about diet, exercise, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. You know you take Asian cultures where you know they lived long lives. you didn't see heart disease in Asia, like in Japan, China, you just didn't see heart disease and then when the advent of capitalism and suddenly McDonald's and Burger Kings ending up in Japan, we start to see this associated curve of early death and heart disease in Asia simply because they're eating all these fast foods, yeah. They were in Okinawa, I think yeah, it was, Okinawa, right. Greece, yeah. yeah. So, so capitalism is destroying all that. Yeah. Yes. First law, Starling's law. S-T-A-R-L-I-N-G. Okay, part deux. The valves. So, we said it was a pump. We followed the movement of blood through the heart. It's very particular how blood flows through the heart. Right atria, right ventricle, left atria, left ventricle, right atria, right ventricle out to the pulmonary circulation, left ventricle out to systemic circulation. So it is a one-way system. I have to have a system that I don't get backflow into the chambers once of blood once they leave that chamber. So there are valves that ensure this, and they open and close in reaction to the changes of pressure within the heart itself. Their names tell you exactly where they are. So the atrioventricular valves would be between what? The atrium and the ventricles. So we have a valve between the atrium and the ventricle. We have a right one and we have a left one. So there's two. The right is called the tricuspid valve because it has three leaves to it that are made of an epithelium and a connective tissue configuration. Three leaves. The other one, or two leaves, sorry, Let's no, three, three of these. The second one, the other one on the left, is the mitral valve, which has two flaps, also known as the bicuspid valve because it has two cusps. How do you remember it? If you follow the flow of, heart, of blood from the right side back and to the left side, the acronym is you have to try it before you buy it. Okay? You have to try it before you buy it. So blood travels through the tricuspid valve before it goes out through the bicuspid valve. Okay? Got to try it before you buy it. So we see here the tricuspid valve on the right side has three flaps, although the part of the heart's been cut away. And we see that the mitral valve, also known as the bicuspid valve, has two flaps. This is a picture from the top. Okay? The tricuspid valve, so we've removed the great organs right we're looking we're looking and we removed the atria right we removed the atria so this stuff here they're saying is the right ventricle okay then left ventricle here it's sitting on top of here's the tricuspid valve on the right one two three valves here's the bicuspid on the left two valves okay got to try it before you buy it right because remember blood first enters the right side leaves and comes back and enters the left side okay here's another picture shows you open and closed so this is with the valves open so this is when blood is heading into the ventricles from the atria and this is when the heart the the bottom part of the heart contracts the valves close, preventing blood from heading back up into the atria where it came from we're going to talk a whole lot more about that later Okay, so the atrial ventricular valves are attached to the rim of the of the hole uh just in the continuation of connective tissue, but how do we prevent them from turning inside out? Right? Cuz you can imagine if I take uh if I take this flap, so I've got this, i will make it much larger. And I've got two flaps like this, if I put pressure on them, They'll eventually go like that and close. If I increase pressure, is the possibility this thing will invert and turn inside out and open, right? So somehow we need to prevent that, and the body did. Attached to each flap, each flap, are cords of connective tissue called the chordae tendineae. So cords of tendons on the edges of the cusps or the flaps. The other end of the chordae tendineae actually attached to the papillary muscles. Okay. Now, when the heart is relaxed. The cusps just passively hang down into the ventricles. As the heart contracts, the pressure of the blood in the ventricles increases, thus raising the flaps until they meet, closing off the atria. The combination of the papillary muscle, the chordae tendineae, prevent the inversion of the cusps when they're closed. And if you think about it, if the chordae tendineae attach to the papillary muscles, which are part of the ventricular wall, uh, when the ventricle contracts will the papillary muscles contract at the same time if the if the papillary muscles are part of the muscular system of the ventricle it is it safe to say or assume that when the ventricle contracts the papillary muscles contract as well yes so imagine i'm a papillary muscle i have chordae tendineae that i'm holding onto that are attached to a flap when the, when the ventricle contracts pressures get really really high 120 millimeters of pressure. Okay? Do you have any idea how, how much that is? If I were to open your if I were to keep you alive and open your chest, and, and while you were alive with a normal beetling heart, and I put a big hole in your aorta, how high do you think the blood would go? What's that? Nine to 12 feet. So you know in the movies, it just kind of leaks out? That's a pile of shit. Right? What's that? It just... Okay, so that's kind of pressure 120 is. So these, these papillary muscles with these cords, when they contract, they are really holding those flaps down so they don't invert, so the blood doesn't end up back in the atria. Okay, so really working hard. So the combination of the papillary muscles and the chordae tendon A prevent the inversion. When the muscle of the heart contracts then, so do to the papillary muscles, which then increases tension on the chordae, thus preventing the flaps from turning inside out. Okay. Here they are here in a dissected heart. Up here at the top, these are the flaps. And these are the papillary muscles here in this part. And then all these strings are the chordae tendinae that are attached to the cusps of the flaps. Now, you can see it here in the drawing. Here's your, again, your, your, you know, your ventricles contracting as two are the papillary muscles pulling down on the cords, thus preventing that flap from turning inside it. Okay. This is uh, gives you also a sense of the network as well. We see here how they're all strung throughout the the chamber of the heart, as well as here. You can see this is the papillary muscles here with all the chordae tendineae attached attached all to the edges of the cusps. What are you looking at? Uh, That could be. uh, I, I I don't. It could be a cow's heart for all I know. It might be. Yeah, it could be a cow's heart. Uh, so that's the AV valve. So that's the valves between the ventricles and the atria and the ventricles. The next valves we have are between the ventricles and the vessels that allow blood to exit the heart. Those are known as semilunar valves. There's two of them. There's the aortic semilunar valves, which are part of the aorta. And they are, there is the pulmonary semilunar valves which they cover the vessels that leave the heart to go to the lungs. So, they prevent backflow into the ventricles. They both consist of three cusps, which are said to be moon-shaped, hence the lunar term. And like the AV valves, they respond to the changing pressures. So, here's your try it before you buy it, and here are your two semilunar valves. This is the pulmonary, heading out to the lungs, and this is the aortic, heading out into systemic circulation. Uh, You can see them here in the real heart. They're just kind of, there's the aortic one there. And you see them opened up here so blood would be heading out. So we see a closed one on the left and an open one on the right.
1: Transports blood from the right ventricle to the lungs, and the aorta, the body's largest artery, which transports oxygen-rich blood from the left ventricle to the rest of the body. If we remove some of the talifibrous coating of the heart and wind vessels, you can get a better Central contract, the voice pushes blood,
0: all the advertisements now on YouTube is driving me nuts what's that oh yeah that's a good idea oh don't worry I got that coming I actually have a uh, actually have a video on open-heart surgery uh, at the end of all this so so the heart is a muscle Uh, the thing to remember is that you know it's like skeletal muscle to some degree but it's not they both use actin and myosin, like any other muscle. They're both striated. Um, skeletal muscles are long, uh, while cardiac muscles are short and fat. Skeletal muscles run parallel to each other, whereas cardiac muscles branch. Uh, I'm not going to spend much time on that. I'm not going to spend time here because I do have a whole set of slides on that. But just understand that you know we've got a lot of connective tissue and muscle in it. Um, da, 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 da. I'm not gonna do that because I got one for that later, I got one for that later, I got one for that later. Okay, good. Alright. So um let's leave it at that and then do the other part. So you all brought stethoscopes with you. Please find a partner and and uh set yourselves up in such a way